and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Under the Electric Stars. Glass house, like a bubble rising from the surface of Metropolis West. The outside, chromed up and shining. The inside, wrapped in perpetual twilight. It's the most beautiful parasite on this side of the coast, and it takes everything it can lay its hands on. All that glitz takes a toll on the pocket, just never from the people who live in it. Somebody from the outside of their little world still needs to deliver on goods. Under the Electric Stars is a cyberpunk audio fiction written by Eli Ramos. Set in the fictional Metropolis West, one of the last cities standing after a nuclear war, the story follows Kane Reyes, an underworld courier who has been trying to pay back the debt their family fell into years ago. Kane runs into the rebel group Zero Zero and gets caught up in the rising revolution. Under the Electric Stars is part of the Aster Podcasting Network, which Ramos also leads, whose mission is to produce enthralling and inclusive stories that feature diverse casts and provide real representation. In the first episode of Under the Electric Stars, Jettisoned, Kane's AI robot Jet is damaged in a fight, and when Kane attempts to steal the parts needed to repair him, they meet Sujin, an operative from the anti-corporate group Zero Zero, and the two team up. In the second episode, titled Zero Zero, Kane and Sujin fight their way to safety and travel to Zero Zero's headquarters. I spoke to Eli remotely from their home. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself as a creative person? Sure. I'm Eli Ramos. I use they, them pronouns. Gosh, as a creative person, it's kind of hard to say, like, I'm a lab technician and I mostly do science stuff. And I think that for a lot of people that doesn't super go hand in hand with being creative, or at least like intellectually, they kind of feel like, oh, you know, you you do STEM and that's very different <laughs> from humanities. And I don't personally think that that's true, but a lot of people have that perception because when I was in college, I would like show my work to people and they'd be like, oh, are you like an art or an English major? And telling people like, oh, I'm a biology major <laughs> was really yeah, interesting, yeah. but I've been doing art stuff kind of like my whole life. My whole family is very artsy. I have two older siblings that I like grew up with. Uh, they're twins. And both of them went into very like art related stuff. My oldest uh, sibling is a graphic designer. And then uh -huh. who we consider like our middle sibling is like does theater professionally. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a lot of creative energy. I feel like I picked up on that. And then my siblings had kind of gone a bunch of different routes and really settled into doing like both visual and then performing arts. And so then I kind of went into music uh, and I still do that. But then when I started listening to radio plays more often, I sort of really fell in love with it. Like one of the fun facts I tell people about my first experience with radio plays is that I first consumed Star Wars by listening to the radio plays of Star wow, Wars because they yeah. were at my local library. So I actually yeah. had, hadn't watched the movie until I was like, <laughs> well into high school <laughs> so you played music you play an instrument 
I do. I play guitar, flute, ukulele, piano, a little bit of violin, and then I teach myself a bunch of other stuff randomly to compose music when I when I try my best and do, have fun. <laughs> that's, a, that's that's a lot. I think I saw in the credits that you do some of the music for the show. I do. Yeah. I actually like it. Kind of depends because when I first started, I wasn't really expecting the amount of work. I like. I I really told myself like this is just going to be like my starter project like everyone has to start somewhere so just like do it find what resources you can figure it out as you go along which meant that I ended up doing things where I was like oh, I really want this song and then I was like I can play music I may as well just like you know hammer it out and then it ended up being like I started composing different things yeah you, you know you were talking about scientists and not being artists and so forth you know my mother was a musician and a singer and she taught little kids music my father was actually a chemist you know he wasn't himself terribly artistic but he was a big supporter and fan of the arts and so mm. i remember we were always going to like symphony or to the opera just because that was something that he and my mom loved there are a lot of science folks out there that are also into the arts i think that's great yeah, yeah. i mean i think it's definitely more common than people think that it is because i mean like so many science fiction writers were also really interested in science themselves that's why they wrote fiction about it so many scientists get into science because of like really great science communicators and like really great pieces of science fiction. The amount of people who got into studying engineering or physics because they really liked Star Trek is really, really big. Like it's a, it's a very large percentage actually of the population of engineers and physicists I know. So how did you end up coming to audio drama as a medium of choice? The podcast network that I'm currently ahead of, I initially auditioned for. So I had done a lot of voice acting kind of like on and off for fun with my friends since I was like, oh God, like as soon as I got a microphone. So probably since I was like 12, maybe I was just starting to record stuff. And that transitioned into me doing voice acting. Then I ended up voice acting for the first Astro Podcasting Network production, which was called Raising the Dead Again. They cast me, I started doing voice acting, and then that project kind of fell off, but it really piqued my interest in more audio drama stuff because I had heard of things like, you know, like Welcome to Night Vale and other Night Vale mm -hmm. productions like Alice Isn't Dead. And then I heard in a commentary of the Penumbra podcast that one of the co-creators was just like, oh, yeah, we like edit everything in Audacity. I was like, I use Audacity. Wait, that means <laughs> I can do it. And I was like, maybe I should just write one. You are currently running the Astro Podcast Network. Yeah. Raising the Dead Again was written by my friend Jeremy. So we became friends over the course of working with each other. But because the show had to be put on hiatus, that was also another really big incentive for me to start like wanting to write my own things. I was like, I really care about this network. I really liked all the people I'd met through it. And I really just like enjoyed the process of getting together and like making an episode of something with people and sharing it with your friends and all that stuff. So I wrote and pitched actually like two different podcasts before I finally settled on writing Under the Electric Stars and Jeremy approved it. But at that point, his life had become so busy that he didn't feel like he was really running the network very much. So I kind of offered to take over, do some stuff, run some events. After that, Jeremy kind of ended up handing the network to me because he was like, I don't really have enough time in my life to dedicate to this anymore. And you clearly really care about this thing like a lot. So I ended up officially becoming the head like end of 2019, I think. So I'd put out a couple episodes of Under the Electric Stars and then I got handed the helm, which was really cool. Like, I'm really happy that I get to do all of this stuff because I did pour a lot of effort into building up APN. Tell me about Astro Podcasting Network's mission. This was a mission that like Jeremy had already had in mind, and I wanted to kind of carry that torch, which is that 
we really care about having diversity in storytelling and in our crew. I think that there's a lot of emphasis for diversity in casts nowadays, which is really great. And I think that like, especially voice acting has such a long history of white people playing characters of color and then having a lot of just like weird representation around like if trans people get to voice characters because their voice doesn't typically match the voice print, quote unquote. I didn't really like how that went along and Jeremy didn't either because Jeremy, so Jeremy is white, but he's like a trans man. So both of us really had a lot of conversations around diversity. So in like carrying that forward, I really felt crew diversity and cast diversity is like something that we care about a lot at APN. Everybody who is on APN right now, it's like we're mostly people of color. Everybody is trans or like from the LGBTQ plus community in some way. We all felt like really underrepresented in stories that we saw and stories that we care about. And that in some way, like podcasting, because it feels like you can very much like do it yourself, really offers like an avenue for people who don't get to often tell their stories to like have that be published on their own terms and like with creative control over how their stories get told. You actually said on the website for Under the Electric Stars, you specifically talk about how the cyberpunk genre in general is typically appropriating Eastern culture, but then populating it with white people. And that this was something you were aiming to to change, to to recast or to reclaim in some way. So like I I love cyberpunk as a genre. I love science fiction. It's like one of my favorite genres of all time. I spent a lot of my childhood in the library and I've read pretty much every Hugo Award winner at this point. I think I'm almost all the way caught up. So like I really, really love science fiction. But it sucks because there's a lot of science fiction that relies on othering people in Mm. very weird ways. Like there's even an academic term for like appropriating Asian cultures to tell these narratives like techno Orientalism. And that specifically Mm. focuses on taking like Asian stories and making Asian people the other because like in the 80s, especially when cyberpunk was really growing, there was so much fear around how other countries, especially Japan, were using and growing technologies in new ways. And so in order to explore that, a lot of the times like authors would just choose that to be the enemy. Gosh, I think it's from Neuromancer where they use the term zaibatsu to mean like a large corporation. And that's just sort of entered the parlance of a lot of cyberpunk. Nobody seems to be able to critique the fact that like we associate large capitalistic overlords with like Japanese people. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of that techno-Orientalism is very focused on East Asia, and I'm Filipino, so Southeast Asia Mm. isn't even considered in that because we're third world countries. And so the idea that we would have some sort of technological advancement or anything to offer aesthetically or intellectually, it just seems too far-fetched, it seems like, to a lot of people because we get pushed to the side all the time. And I was like, that's so unfair because so much of what we call the global south has those technological advancements and like deserve to be included in those conversations i wanted to write a story that i was like me as like a non-binary filipino person who so like i'm a diaspora filipino i grew up in the united states so Mm -hmm. i was like i wanted to tell a story where i could see someone who had like all of those attributes like stand there and be a hero because i was like i deserve that Why cyberpunk? Why did you want to tell this particular story in this particular genre? Like I said, cyberpunk is like one of my 
great loves like science fiction as a whole, but cyberpunk especially because I think it just resonates with a lot of themes that I personally find really important and feel like take precedence in like when I think about writing stories. Cyberpunk to me is like as a genre, it's representative of thinking about the ways that technological advancement impact us as humans. Like it, mm-hmm. it is a genre that really centers itself around how humanity continues to persist in the face of either corporations trying to profit off of your very body and soul by taking technology that could be used to help the downtrodden and using it against you and how people still find ways to persist in humanity and how they find ways to fight back against that. Cyberpunk is so inherently anti-capitalist. Yeah. It just felt like it resonated with me so much when I first read like a cyberpunk story that was written by a person of color. Reading cyberpunk stories and ideas that are written by people of color because they originate in real world organizing and activism, those are the things that really moved me. And I was like, if I'm going to write a story in which I want to see someone who is like me as the hero, I want to write it in a genre where I feel like, you know, it should originate from those points. I've been doing like a lot of activism work for the last almost decade of my life. I've like felt so honored to be able to work with other people in doing activism work around like mutual aid and fighting against how capitalism harms people, especially like marginalized communities. So I wanted to honor the experiences that I'd had with other people in the form of a story. So episode zero is called Jettisoned. And uh, in this, we get to meet the world and the protagonist. And we get to meet Kane, who is a courier and uh, calls themselves the fastest driver in Metro West. Kane is maybe fast, but they are not terribly reliable. <laughs> yeah, they don't no, seem to be, not. <laughs> they don't seem to be making making money or making drops and enough to, to to get along. What the hell happened to my car, eighty sixer? Eighty sixer. That's what they call you when you're nothing. I had to make a quick getaway, and it went a little sideways. I guess you think I should just let it slide. That you wrecked one of my delivery cars. Hey, give him back! And that you're still putting all these stupid modifications in them. Kane, I really thought you were better than this. Why are you even here? Good question. What was that? Because I have to be. Now just knock the cryptos out of my account and call it a day. Oh, Kane. Just because you're my friend doesn't mean you get any special favors. No, no, I I think you'd better pay me back, somehow. The man paid me 30 cryptos for what should have been, at the very least, a 150 crypto job. <laughs> it's not really my problem, is it? You are. Make me some cryptos, and then maybe we'll talk. Kane runs into Sujin, who is an operative working for the rebel group Zero Zero who are attempting to topple the, the stranglehold that the corporations have on the population, bring everything back to zero so that they can rebuild with more equality. One of the things that I noticed right off the bat listening to these episodes is there's a lot of action um, yeah. <laughs> that really drop us right into the middle of things. There's world building that happens as we go along, it's, but it really kind of happens in passing. We've got chase scenes and we've got shootouts, tense standoffs. Um, that's a lot. What are the challenges of doing 
a lot of action in audio drama and why did you want to go this route? There are many challenges to doing action scenes in audio drama, most of which are just like, it's hard to make it organic for the characters to describe what's happening or like to give you a sense of what's going on because it's like, no one's going to like point a, like a blaster at someone and be like, now I'm pointing a blaster at your face and it's really (laughs) tense and looks really cool. Um, So you have to find other ways for the dialogue to flow naturally there. And then the sound design, good gosh, I cannot believe actually when I look back at this that I decided to go for doing so many action scenes. I hadn't really done audio editing like super seriously prior to doing Under the Electric Stars. And like the other challenging part is trying to figure out sounds that also lend themselves to what the characters are talking about. Like, good gosh, I sat for like maybe an hour for like the first day I was just working on this, trying to find the right like laser sound. Just, yeah. just the right laser sounds. <laughs> and I started writing it. I was like, this is really fun to write. But even as I was writing it, I was like, this is going to be a pain in the ass to edit later. <laughs> okay, why are you driving towards the droids? Kane? Kane? Well, how else are we going to get the core? We're driving into dangerous territory. You seriously think you're fast enough to avoid this many droids on their turf? Of course I am. I'm the fastest driver in the metropolis. You just drove through a doorway! I said I was the fastest, not the most elegant. Although I have to admit that turn was pretty impressive. Thank you! So our main protagonist, Kane. We're thrust into the middle of the action, so we immediately get a sense of what's the the short-term goals for them. We don't really get a whole lot about their um, motivations long-term until the second episode, where we get a little hint of something has happened to their brother. Sujin is also similar. They're supremely cool and supremely competent, but we don't Mm -hmm. get to know a whole lot about their motivations either right from the start. This kind of stuff seems to be sort of gradually unspooling. Talk to me about your writing choices for the for that idea. Whenever I write characters, I tend to lay out their character motivations really early on because I think that that's what drives most narratives is knowing like what are your characters motivated towards? How do they like get stopped from doing those things or otherwise impaired or take different pathways? But the reason why I didn't want to like start with it so early on is because I I kind of wanted you to have an impression of what the characters were like in danger situations before you like knew them as people. Mm. Because I wanted you to see them as not really characters, but archetypes at first. A lot of science fiction has, and like just a lot of fiction in general has these archetypes of characters, the leader, the hacker, the builder, that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. So all of the characters, um, when I wrote them, I gave all of them a title. So Kane was the getaway driver, Sujin was the builder, Vic is a hacker, Lola is a leader. And so I gave all of them that, and I wanted everyone to have that impression of all of those characters before I dove into their actual backstories, because it's kind of like getting to do a little bit of a mystery. And in its entirety, I knew that the first season of Under the Electric Stars was going to be a little bit of like this mystery around Kane and like how family interacts with it because Kane is like a lone wolf at the beginning. And then teasing out the fact that like Kane is grieving really after having lost their family. Like I think in the, the pilot, Rossum says like, you're the only Reyes I know left. And so you kind of get the mm. sense that Kane is like 
all alone, but one of the big themes of Under the Electric Stars is like family and togetherness and community. I wanted all those characters to feel like archetypes. And then as you delve into them more, you feel like they're actually people and like a family and a community. So There are societies hidden outside of the metropolises. Ones that if we unite together, we can overthrow Potenko. We think we picked up the trace for one of them. And if we can get a core, we can power our systems to find it faster. God. You sound like my brother. Kane, are you okay? He was always up. He was always going on about getting out of Metropolis West. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say something that would hurt you. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I know why he wanted to get out so bad. I know why Valeria never believed, but I think, I think I did. No, I think I do. I never thought he was stupid or crazy for wanting to run towards something. <laughs> Hell, I'm starting to want that too. You said almost all the characters in Under the Electric Stars are non-binary, is that correct? Kane and Sujin are non-binary. Jet also uses they-them pronouns, but not as frequently as he-him pronouns. Lola and Vic are... It's a little up in the air. I like never want to say if a character is cisgender or transgender, so, sure. but they they are binary uh, in the sense that Lola is a woman and Vic is a man. Yeah, there's a lot of non-binary people is what yeah. I'm saying. Well, I certainly see how you're attempting to make sure that representation is, is there. Is there something about cyberpunk that you think works really well with these types of identities? Yes, I think that that's partially what drew me to science fiction also. There's a lot of really cool science fiction stories out there, like especially older science fiction stories where people were exploring how sexuality and gender may play in the future. That, yeah, I'm, the left hand of darkness, for example. Yes. Right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I yeah. talk about Ursula K. Le Guin like a lot. So that's like <laughs> the immediate thing. But yeah, I love that science fiction as a whole really like allows you to explore different societal views on things and different ways that people can express themselves, and especially cyberpunk, because cyberpunk sets itself up really with like, it's machines against humanity, or it's humanity using machines against people. And like, when you really think about it, like so many characters, it's like, they've got prosthetics, they're half robot, like they were built as a robot, but now they feel like they're a human, like it already, like in setting up that binary, wants to explore the intersection between those two things like the overlap of those two things so i thought that that also made a lot of sense and like that's also why i gave so many of the characters have like disabilities and augments and stuff is because cyberpunk almost demands you to explore the intersections between things and how marginalized people in specific get affected by those intersections and there's rebellion of course which is at the key of it uh this is a rebel group is it time for a revolution in our society Oh, I think yes. I think like revolution is like one of those things where the word is really weighty and big. And I think even in the story, it's kind of presented like there has to be like a huge overhaul of everything. But really, like revolution has to happen in your day to day life. Otherwise, it's like, what's the point of living under like somebody else's thumb in your day to day living? You have to sort of like unpack that for yourself as well. For example, in doing like a lot of activism work, I feel like people 
don't realize just how much just getting together with people in your workplace and disclosing how much you guys earn can spark a revolution in your own workplace to fight for fairer wages for everybody. I'm pretty sure this gets mentioned in the first two episodes. Zero Zero as a group in fiction started as a union because unionization Mm. to me in like a thing that (laughs) talks so much about class and class stratification is like insanely important. My parents grew up in the Philippines before they immigrated here. My dad was part of like a pretty big union strike at his company that like cost him his position and job. But he had made this point to me, like impressed this point onto me really young that he was like, but that was worth it. I mean, that was the point. Like the point was that you might lose your job, you might lose your livelihood. But if somebody else who is working with you doesn't have that already, then what's the point of you having it? Like it has to be equal. You've been doing the show now for almost three years. Looking back about these first couple of episodes, how do you feel about them? I'm I'm like proud of my younger self for like really diving in and writing that because like not to disclose too much about like my life, but I would have been 20 years old at that point. Yeah, mm. that was like not a good year for me. My life was like low key. I was just like under a lot of stress. I was dealing with I'm I'm like immunosuppressed. I have like a, mm. an immune condition, so like that was hitting me really really hard all of a sudden, and so like things felt really really bleak. But I remember feeling like under the electric stars was like this I wanted to write a story that was like very hopeful because I was in like a very bad situation so I'm proud of like looking back at myself and like having written really trying to be hopeful story in the midst of going through so much stuff how have you changed in the way that you produce and write episodes from three years ago to now Definitely a lot less frenetic (laughs) (laughs) I think like when I was first writing I was just like like I said, I was really impatient to start writing and producing and publishing it. So I was just like writing every moment of the day. Like I truly cannot remember a time. I was like still going to college at that time, but I truly can't remember a time where I wasn't working on it. Like I'd be in my like entomology class and we'd be like, you know, talking about the mouth parts of the cicada. And I'd also be writing like the second episode <laughs> or the third episode of it. <laughs> so I was really splitting my attention to, to get it done. Contrary to a lot of ways that I think other people produce podcasts, or at least this is in my experience, like a lot of people find the way that I do it to be just a little bit unhinged because I write and produce <laughs> and edit everything in a month. Like I, I take a month off and like kind of do my own thing. Then at the top of a month, I write the episode and I write the episode like last week of the month to so the first week of like the month I'm actually producing it in. Then we do all our table talks that I get the lines and I edit in two weeks and then I publish it at the end. Well, wow, so you so you literally do month to month on all of this. Yep. Like I really enjoy doing it because I, I love the sense of urgency that it has. I think a lot of people don't really like having deadlines, but because for me, it's like a self-imposed deadline of like, I want this to happen at this time. It like makes everything really exciting for me for some reason. Yeah. So what do you struggle with? I don't really burn myself out, but I get into like creative loops that <laughs> are maybe not like the the best thing in the world. I try and outline stuff, you know, and then when it comes to writing the episode, sometimes I'll just get stuck on a scene and I hang on it for like mm. the entire two weeks I give myself to write it. And then in the last day yeah. I have to cram writing the rest of the episode. So then it, you know, like by holding on too hard onto like a concept that you like, even if it doesn't serve the story, then you kind of weaken the rest of the story because you want to fit this thing in. And I am definitely guilty of doing that. How do you measure success? I don't think I really do is the thing, which is a weird thing to say, but also 
I resolved really early on in writing under the electric stars because I considered it my starter project, which like, obviously it means a lot more to me now. It is the one creative project I have spent three years on. And it's also the one creative project I've poured so much of myself into. Hmm. When I started it, I told myself that I don't care if nobody listens to this. Like, I love that I put the amount of effort I put into it. I feel like I really did my best with it. Then that is, that's successful to me. Like just doing the thing already to me constitutes a success. What lessons have you learned about creating audio drama that you can share with people who might want to create their own? Use the resources available to you. I really did not. I I had a really hard time and I still do have a hard time talking to people in audio drama community because I'm like by nature a little bit not like antisocial. I really like being social with people, but I'm just like very awkward. I have a hard time like reaching out to people and being like, hi, we should talk about stuff that we do. Community resources are at your disposal. So many people have written great articles and like are more than happy to have you like DM and be like, hey, I'm trying to do this thing. I really don't know where to start. Because I've actually had people reach out to me like that. And it's like such an honor. And it's like the like the hobby I do in my life. So I'm always ready to gush about it forever. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're like, I should listen to Under the Electric Stars, please listen. I really, really love having people interact with my work, even if silently and just through listens. Also check out other Astro Podcasting Network productions. I'm so proud to be able to like make these shows with people. And hey, if you ever want to publish stuff, if you're like, trying to write your first episode of something, please reach out because I really love helping people learn how to produce audio fiction and like helping people publish stuff. So if you're ever curious about writing audio fiction, come talk to me at Astro Podcasting on Twitter, or you can just email through astropodcastingnetwork at gmail.com. Access granted. Access granted. Access granted. What the? All right. If someone's hiding in here. I've got a plasma knife, and I'm not afraid to- Hey! Whoa, watch where you're pointing that thing. You're complaining about the plasma knife when you- You are the one who startled me! I need you to be quiet for this to work. And you are also, for some reason, just like hanging out in the shadows and, and waiting for someone to walk by or something just to, just to talk at them? From the shadows? I I cannot understate how weird it is that you're just you're standing back there- Shh! You shh! Just get behind me. Under the Electric Stars fits right at home in cyberpunk's cool anti-capitalist genre. The clash between technology and humanity, oppression and rebellion, the haves and the have-nots, form its core. What makes this show stand out is how it layers identity and culture into the story, putting all people at the heart of this revolution. You can listen to Under the Electric Stars on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions. 
questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.